tonight on um, the subject that we're, we're uh, going through. Uh, so we've been on Colossians, and I took a little break the last time that, that I was up here, but back on Colossians, and um, the verses that we started out with tonight, 20 through 23 of chapter 2, I'm going to briefly cover them, because they really, they really kind of um, just kind of flowed from uh, what we discussed the last time. So, so I'm going to read those again. It says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all the things that are perished or they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So here, the end of this chapter, Paul is... Um, he's really emphasizing what he's done really throughout the letter so far in, uh, you know, in this book of Colossians to this church at Colossae. Um, he's saying, look, you died to these things. That, that was the letter of the law. These, these things, these things, and then, and then so much of it was what was added to the law by the Pharisees. You know, he's saying these things that you're trying to uh, really work your way to righteousness that you've added to the law. All these things that you're you're putting these self-made regulations on yourself, you know, can't touch this, can't you know, can't eat this. He said these things were were just uh, for one uh, uh, of the law. They were a shadow to Christ, the real substance. You know, that's what we talked about last time, and that and that what you made them is to this. You really made them into this your own religion. You've created your own religion and asceticism that you're really. Uh, severity of the body, you're punishing yourself to try to make yourself worthy, to make yourself righteous. And he's saying that's of no value. That's of no value for the indulgences of the flesh. That's, that's not going to do the trick. You know, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. You, you're, you're, you know, putting this nice show on, but inside there's still a huge problem. You, you really still desire those things. You really uh, are still that simple. And so, so here it's, it's the answer is not in these things. The answer is one thing. One person. You know, one gospel. One truth. That one person is Jesus Christ. And we, we know that. He's reminding us of that. He's reminding the church of Colossae of that. So many times our focus, though, it becomes a, li a list of don'ts, right? I mean, you ever done that to yourself? You know, this list of don'ts, and it becomes easy to base our holiness and our righteousness on that standard. That's what we do, isn't it? You know, if we, you know, if we stay away from these things that, that we say we're going to stay away from, that, then we feel righteous, we feel holy, you know? And, and that, that really becomes our standard. So if we don't commit this sin for a while, or maybe ever again, then we feel holy and satisfied. But there is there are some real problems with that type of mentality. I'm gonna give you a few real quick with that with that uh, mentality of you know just I gotta stay away from this certain sin. There's no there's nothing wrong with fighting your sin, repenting of your sin. But, but when you make that the standard of your holiness, there's a huge problem. And here's, here's why. One, this bases righteousness on our worth and holiness, you know, our, our worth and holiness rather than on that of Jesus Christ. So it's basing it on your, you know, what you do rather than that of what Jesus Christ has done. It, it really steals glory from him. He is the one that attained your righteousness for you, not you. And so you still glory for him. It also, it gives you no assurance. It gives me no assurance. Okay? And that's at best. At worst, it gives you no salvation. Because if you're placing it on your righteousness, if that's what your standard is on your righteousness, then you fail. It's only based on his righteousness. Number two, we become prideful based on if we're able to stay away from those sins. 
Right? If we're able to attain our standard of what we feel like, okay, well, this is the sin that so plagued me before and, and now I'm, I'm able to stay away from it. Or this is the sin of the world at the time that, that everybody kind of looks at as, as a stain. You know, that the church all agrees with this is, this is the sin. So if you're, you know, at one time, you know, it was, it was like, you know, all, all Christians, you know, pretty much knew, okay, well, you don't do these certain things in public. You know, you don't, you don't go get drunk in public. So if you can stay away from that, well, you're holy, right? So you make these standards, and if you're able to, to, to kind of fall in line with those standards, then, 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 you know, you can definitely become fall into pride, right? You, you stay away from those things that, that you believe are wrong, then pride can puff up inside of you. And it can become, it can really become impossible to extend grace to others, right? I mean, how are we really supposed to extend grace to others if we're puffed up with pride about ourselves? In fact, you know, think about someone who's battling with that sin. Well, if you're prideful because you've overcome it, how in the world, you're, you're going to look at them as beneath you. You're going to um, assume that they're weak and they can't, Overcome that sin like you were able to come that sin, overcome that sin. So again, that that's a huge problem with that kind of mentality. That is not a that is not a Christ-like behavior or mentality. Number three, it also having this mentality, it leads to a great fall. Because eventually what happens? Eventually you are going to fall. Especially with pride built up. You are going to do that thing that you said you'd never do or that thing that you say you'd never do again. And then with that great fall back into sin over the thing that we thought we had mastered, it's hard to come back from that, I believe. Hopefully, though, that would bring one to their knees. I know that it has many times uh, when pride is puffed up in me. And, and I go through that through that roller coaster of faith, really. And you know, you, you're feeling kind of good about yourself and then and then the fall comes and you fall flat on your face and then and it's another reminder for those who truly love God and trust in Him. It's another reminder not to place trust in ourselves and that and that we're not good and that we are so dependent, we're so needful of Jesus Christ, we so need a Savior. It's what it should do. It's what we should remind ourselves of every day. And so here, now, now don't get me wrong. All of that being said, this is not an excuse to blatantly sin. It's not an excuse. For we have no right to do that since our master commands us not to. But I believe how we fight sin should definitely change. We are fighting sin from victory. Not for victory. The victory's already been won. It's, it's finished. Christ has won that victory for us. The victory over our sin is won. So now, the way that we should do is we should rejoice in that. He becomes the hero of the story. He is the hero, but, but that we set Him in our hearts and in our minds where He rightfully deserves to be. He is our focus. Christ becomes our focus when when we're fighting from victory, not for it. Paul ends chapter 2 by reminding us that just by submitting ourselves to certain regulations will never change the inner being. It doesn't change the heart. We need so much more. If we aren't changed from inside out, then it, it does nothing. But like I said before, you know, putting that lipstick on a pig. You just pretty it up on the outside. But on the inside, it's still corrupt, right? White, whitewashed tombs. It's the, the, the cup is clean on the outside, but inside it's filthy. And so here, he begins chapter 3, though, with another reminder that the only way that we really have real and lasting change is through being raised with Christ. Okay, so, so here we are, chapter 3. So, you know, the end of chapter 2, just a reminder of not to put, not to put the focus on these, on these, um, on one, on the law. The law points to Christ. Not to put the focus on these, 
Um, these things that the, the Pharisees had just added to the law over the years, that, that the substance is Christ. But then it goes into chapter 3, and he's really hitting home. Okay, so if we don't focus on, on, the, on, the, on the law itself, if we don't focus on trying to make sure we do all these regulations and, and that we're really um, you know, becoming legalistic in our, in our rituals and legalistic in our uh, faith, then where, where do we place it? And it's in Christ. And so look at what he says in verses 1 through 3. Listen real closely as he's trying to show them this is who you are. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It is such strange language. Now for us who grew up in the church, it is common language. But imagine Nicodemus as Christ is talking to him and he hears for the first time that in order to receive the kingdom, that he has to be born again. That he's got to go back. He's thinking, I've got to go back into my mother's womb and come out again. I'm a grown man. But that is strange language common to us now, but very strange at the time. As Jesus spoke of things of drinking His own blood and eating His own flesh, that He is the very bread of life, that Jesus is the life and resurrection, that He is the light of the world. Jesus uses this language. The Bible is full of this language. And here is saying that we died with Christ and we're going to be raised with Him. That living and breathing men and women are actually dead. What does this mean? And so, so maybe you know what it means because you have grown up in church. But He's reminding us of where we should be spiritually. Dead to the world, alive to Christ. Where we, where we were dead in our sins before. And so, what does all that have for us tonight? So it's a reminder. You died with Christ to these things. And so here, you've been raised with Christ. So Galatians 2.20. I'm going to go there. It says this. I have been crucified with Christ. That's what Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. So now, so now we're, we are crucified with Christ. That we died with Him. That as He went to the cross, that that, that, that is us on the cross as well. And that now we no longer live the life that we live, but yet He lives it through us. That's what it's supposed to be. Many times our flesh kind of rises up. That dead man rises up and kind of takes control, doesn't it? That dead man or dead woman that, that, you, that we're all supposed to put to death each day, they have their way a lot of times, don't they? Those, those thoughts that we're supposed to hold captive, those, those words that we're supposed to hold, those actions that, that we're supposed to restrain from, they have their way with us many times. It's not what's supposed to happen. Because what's supposed to happen is we're to be so focused on the One who gave Himself up. He loved us so much that He gave His life up for us that that should be enough, right? The One who gave you life, eternal life, the one that the reason why that when you die that you will not burn in hell. But rather than that, what you do deserve to burn in hell, you don't get. And what you don't deserve to be, to be with Him forever. In glory, with a new body, a perfect body, in perfect peace. That's what you get. You don't deserve that. And the one that does that for you, that took on your sin... That took the wrath of God for you. Took your punishment for you. 
it would seem it would seem like that it should be an easy thought to say the world has nothing for me. What the world has to offer does not compare. It's not even close. It would seem like it would be so simple to just turn away and to follow the direction of the Savior who gave His life up for us, doesn't it? It would seem like it would be so simple. It doesn't even seem like it on, that, on, a, on a scale. You know, you ever had a decision and you're weighing the, weighing the pros and cons? It, it seems like this, I mean, it's not even, the, the scale is so tipped in the direction of living for Jesus that, that it, it just topples over. It's, it's, it's all the weight in the world on one side and no weight left on the other. What decision is, is left to be made? It should be the simplest decision of our life. But so much is such a struggle. We're still living under a curse, aren't we? So, so do we continue in sin? Romans 6.2 says, By no means. How can... How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul says. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? Were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That you are raised to a new life. A new creature has been born. That now the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. And you no longer have to submit to that sin. It has been defeated. The grave has been defeated. D.L. Moody says it like this. He said, I've known men who have, have been up in balloons. Hot air balloons. And they have told me that when they want to rise higher, they just throw out some of the sand uh, which they ballast the balloon. Now I believe one reason why so many people are earthly minded and so little of the Spirit in heaven is that they have got too much ballast in the shape of love for the earthly joys and gains. And what you want is to throw out some of the sand and you'll rise higher. Can y'all can y'all see that? And, you know, in this hot air balloon, and you've seen the bags of sand and they would chunk them off. And of course, the weight that's dropped off, of course... It's going to lift higher. And, and so, there's so much of an illustration there for the life of a Christian. You know, there that is, that sand, that earth. The worldly things. They weigh us down. That ensnare us. You know, that keep us from setting our eyes and our gaze on the things that truly matter. Those things that which are above. And the more of that baggage that we have hanging around our, our hot air balloon, the closer we are to the world, the more we get dragged down and we can't focus our attention on, on what truly matters. But yet as we throw those things overboard, we begin to rise higher. You know, and, and I think about the song, the lyric in this song that says, the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Have we seen that this morning? And here we are. We're aliens in this world. Strangers. We should be. It says in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. When you're reborn, your address really changes. Right? You're no longer a citizen necessarily you're more of a citizen of heaven than you are of Mississippi, the old USA. Your address has changed. He says our citizenship is, is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever waited on something? Waited on an answer? Waited on a reunion? Waited on an event? I was waiting all week on that crawfish bowl and then I found out halfway through it I didn't want to get to go. <laughs> all that excitement turned to despair. But then my family, my church family, hooked me up. 
Because I think I ate more crawfish last night than any of y'all. I don't know. Maybe not Caleb. Caleb is giving me the stare like, no, I don't think so. I, I gave you my, my spare bowl. So here, we're, we're aliens, and we're awaiting our Lord to come back, anticipating. There was a, a girl in class this week, and she had this book, and I was trying to start up a conversation with her about it. It's a, a fantasy book. And she made this statement. I was asking her questions about what she was reading. And, and, um, and you know, she was talking about the book and how it's, how it's even got this map of this fantasy world in it. And, and she made a statement. I think, this is how, I think this is how she put it verbatim. I think she said, everyone really wants to live someplace else. You know, you want to escape reality. And I, and I looked at her, and, you know, uh, there was some others, you know, kind of sitting around and listening to me, and I said, I said, that is more true than what you may even know. And I was trying, I was trying to bait her, <laughs> to be honest with you. She didn't take the bait. I, I do that for a lot to kids. I'll, I'll try to bait them and see what they'll say and uh, see if they'll take the bait. She didn't on this time. But, um, but I was thinking, man, that is, that is so true. I mean, because the world that we live in, it doesn't take long before. I mean, you look around and you want to escape somewhere else. You know, it's too much. It's too much pain and tragedy. It's, it's too much to take all the sin. You can't hide from it. I mean, it's everywhere. And so it's a weight that is so difficult to bear. Many times, what do we do? We'll either try to escape it and hide from it, or we'll what? Go ahead and throw our hands up and we'll join it. We will. What's the use? We just might as well take part in it. But listen to what it says in Romans 8.13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And there's only one way for that to happen, and that is through Christ. That is through Him. And so what are some of the effects of our, our, this new life in, of, of resurrection? Um, this, this union with Christ that, that Paul's talking about so much in Colossians? Believers are no longer enslaved to or under the dominion of sin. We don't have to be. We don't have to be under the dominion of the flesh. We don't have to be under the dominion of or ruled by the world. We don't have to be under the dominion of the enemy, the, the devil, Satan. Paul says, through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. Did y'all hear that? I've been crucified past tense with Christ. Past I saw this completed act with present continuing effect result connotating permanence of our co-crucifixion with Christ. Here's what that means. In short, we cannot be uncrucified. You've been crucified with Christ. There's no you're not taking that back. You can't be uncrucified. You know what that means? You cannot lose your salvation. Ample evidence in the Word of God that proves this. And is no longer, he says, I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. We read that earlier. And so, and so here, we, He gives this reminder, but He reminds us of our responsibility next. He says to seek the things which are above to set your mind not on earthly things. So to seek those things which are above. And so much of the problem with, with falling back into sin is because we're so focused on earthly things instead of heavenly things. There was an article in a San Francisco newspaper a while back that reported that a young man once found a $5 bill on the street, resolved that from that time he would never lift his eyes up while he was walking. Everywhere he went, he's looking down. Because he don't want to miss another $5 bill, right? 
So uh, the paper talked about how over the years, how much he accumulated. I mean, he found thousands of buttons. He found thousands of pins. He found all kind of change on the ground. But he also got a bent back in a, in a, in a miserly disposition over the years. Not that, not that good of stature. But he also lost something. He lost the glory of sunlight, the radiance of the stars, the smiles of friends, and the freshness of blue skies. He missed it all. And I think many times that's the same way Christians are uh, spiritually. That we get so focused on earthly things instead of the heavenly, we miss so much. Well, you just say, well, hadn't you ever heard that, that saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? For one, that's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. And, if, and I, I, do, I do get it to an extent. Because we can be so focused maybe on, you know, our selfishness in, in heaven that, that we cannot reach out and do the deeds of the Father. But I believe if we're really seeking heaven the right way, then it does nothing but earthly good. I mean, think, this is what John MacArthur says about it. The things above refers to the heavenly realm and hones in on the spiritual values that characterize Christ. So as we focus on those heavenly things, we focus on Christ. And as we focus on Christ, we focus on His character. And as we focus on His character, His character becomes part of our character. So as His character becomes part of our character, let's think what we get and let's see if it does any heavenly good. Or earthly good, excuse me. Will tenderness and kindness and meekness and patience and wisdom and forgiveness and strength and purity and love and grace and mercy and truth, will that do any earthly good? Of course it does. Of course it does. So we can't buy into these lies. It kind of led me into another train of thought. Is is like why as a church that we that we don't become seeker sensitive y'all know y'all heard that you know a lot of churches kind of move that movement is real popular uh to be like a seeker sensitive church you know for one there's something wrong in that verbiage hey who seeks god what does the bible say tony's already answered it i don't know if y'all heard him as soon as i said it no one that's right because that's exactly what the bible says no one seeks God. So, so those people, now look, are there people ripe and ready, broken and ready to hear the gospel and respond to it? Yes, of course there are. But guess what happened to them? God saw them. He sought them out. They're ready to hear the gospel truth and respond because He's after them. Not the other way around. So when they hear the gospel message come from your lips, it's dripping off your lips, is exactly what they've been waiting to hear. You don't, have to, you don't have to practice it a certain way. You don't have to think about, i got to make sure that I do this the right way, or i got to trick them into coming to church, or i got to make a light show so that, so, that they're, so that they're satisfied and won't leave out, that the music's got to be just right. Listen, there's nothing wrong with working on the music. There's nothing wrong with making sure that everything that we do, that it's efficient and that we do our very best for God. That is good and that is right. But when we start thinking that it's based on us and what we do, rather than the gospel preached in truth and grace, preached in spirit and in truth, if we start thinking that it's about those things that's going to either... That's either going to lead people to Christ or, or push them away. We miss it. It becomes about us. We think that we hold the keys. We don't. We're His mouthpiece. We're His mouthpiece. He's the one that draws. He is the one. We cannot get that backward. We have to be very careful to not become seeker sensitive. But only sensitive to God's will. 
And he'll go get them. And he'll draw them in. And they will respond. Because he has gone after his sheep. So what do we need to do? We need to, as the church, we need to seek Christ. We need to preach Christ. We need to live Christ. And, as, and we need to do the very best in our church to make sure that we're doing, we're giving our very best for Christ. So, can we fix things at the church? Of course we can. We need to give our very, very best. Can we, can we, can we have fellowship like we did last night? Of course we can. Can we invite our friends? Of course we can. But their salvation depends on one thing and one thing alone. It depends on God. It depends on do they believe in Jesus Christ as their only Savior. And so our responsibility is to seek the things that are above and to not set our mind on earthly things. Dead men are not seeking out God. He draws them. So we set our hearts on what is, is said here. A hidden resource. Hidden resource. This is strange talk too. He's talking about our affections. MacArthur says this. Think with the affection gratitude of what the Lord Jesus has already done for you and what He is to you now. I mean, we ought to think about that every day. What has Christ done for me and what is He to me now? What does He mean to me? This is not a form of escapism. Because some, some, you know, will accuse the church of, you know, you just believe this because you're really afraid of death and afraid of what's going to happen when you die. And you just want to, you, you want to believe that this is what's going to happen. And so it's better to think about that than think about, you know, the things that, that we don't want to look forward to. It's, but here's the thing. This is what MacArthur says. It's not something you try to keep your mind on all day long to the exclusion of the things around you like business and family or home. He's not saying think of Christ and neglect all these other things. It means that Christ becomes the reason behind it all. He becomes the reason behind your family. And, and your ministry and your friendships and at your workplace. He is the center of it all. It's not that we neglect those things. Is that, is that now that through those things that we can share Christ. All those things are an avenue for the source, the substance. And it says your life is hid with Christ in God. He's got it this way. Before we can reach the world, we have to leave it. You have to become a foreigner in your own land. In John 18.36, Jesus says, My kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? Then I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my, now is my kingdom not from here. When John says, Be Christ in the world, how can these two things be brought together. It's very simple, really. Your inside lives in heaven. Your outside lives here. Your inside lives in heaven. Your outside here. Did y'all notice that he says seek the things which are above? He doesn't say seek within because that is kind of the nature of the world, right? That is, that's this you know, false truth that goes around is that you, you've got a truth within you. Now I'm going to tell you, you do have a truth within you if Christ lives within you. But that which comes from above is the one who lives within you. So, but many times we, we ask our, we get our own opinion way too much. We live by our own opinion way too much or the opinion of the world. The answer is not within you, but it's rather above. It's like a submarine with a periscope, Right? That which is under the water, but that uses the periscope. The well-being of those that are inside the submarine, think about it. They're dependent on what is seen above. They're looking above, and what they see is dependent on their safety and security underneath. The resource 
that we're talking about, that we're dependent on, is Christ and He is seated at the right hand of the Father. The right hand of the Father is a position of authority. It is a position of honor and prestige. And it's saying that we died and are seated with Him. We've been raised with Him and we're seated with Him. That our life is hidden in Him. In this substance. Um, talking about two, two Middle Eastern tombs that we can draw our attention to. The first one. I like this. I'm a history guy. The first one is a burial place of King Tut in Egypt. Y'all may have seen some of, you know, they, they like to, you know, History Channel likes to cover stuff like this. Uh, inside, precious metal and blue porcelain covers the walls in King Tut's tomb. The mummy of the king is enclosed in a beautifully inscribed gold-covered coffin. Wow. All for this, this dead king. There's another tomb in Palestine for a king. For the king. It's a simple rock-hewn cave believed by many to be Jesus' burial site. Now, if this is the actual one, I don't know, but one of them over there is. Inside it, no gold, no earthly treasure, also, no body. Amen. Amen. Ain't no body there. He's somewhere else, isn't he? No, none of that. He didn't store up the world's treasure, did he? There was something greater. There was something so much greater. And so, and so many times, I mean, that's what, that's what we are. We're, we're dead men and women that are chasing after worldly treasures and storing up nothing for heaven. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 6, it says this, he said, Paul's telling them, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. This is who you were. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. In which you once walked following the course of this world. You were falling right along with them. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. You were just doing what, what children of disobedience do. You were falling right in line, and I was too. And he says it like the rest of mankind. Those first three verses are tough. I'm glad it keeps going. Listen in verse 4 what it says. But God. It say, but you. You didn't seek him. Listen to what it says. But God being rich in mercy. He's rich. He has so much mercy. He looks on us in pity. And He says, I'm not going to give them what they deserve. That's what mercy is. He could have given us what we deserve. That's who we were. Look at the first three verses. That's exactly who you were. You needed His mercy. He didn't need you. You needed Him. I needed Him. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us. My goodness, he did. we didn't deserve His love. He gave it. He gave His love. We got such a twisted... We were talking about it this morning in Sunday school. We have such a twisted view of love today. Such a twisted view of love in our society today. It's all, it's all about feeling and emotion. So, so you're telling me that, that I love you until I don't feel like it anymore? How is that loving at all? That's all selfish, isn't it? I fell out of love with you? Or I'm going to continue to be faithful and, and even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to continue to love you. Isn't that real love? That which would lay down his life for the, a fellow brother? It doesn't say based on what he did for me. It is, that's what I'm choosing to do. doesn't matter what he gives me, what he owes me. It's what I'm doing out of love for him. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. It says, 
because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, it wasn't that we cleaned ourselves off and now we're ready to enter into the church and now we're ready to be saved. Because we clean us, now I'm ready, Jesus. I've cleaned myself off. Now you can accept me. Uh-uh. How did He take you? How did He go after you? You are dead. Dead in your trespasses. Disobedient children. And look what it said He did. You did nothing. Look at what He said He did. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. You did nothing. You can't boast. I can't boast. I did nothing. He took me an enemy of His. He took me filthy. He took me wretched. He took me poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. He opened my eyes. He clothed me. He's the one that washed me off. He is the one that gave me salvation. Uh, A poor and wretched sinner. By grace I've been saved. What is grace? He gives you what you do not deserve. In verse 6 he says, And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus We sit with royalty at the right hand of God the Father. We are hidden in Christ Jesus. We abide with Him. How do you define yourself? Who are you? Think about how most people identify themselves. A lot of questions today on that that one. But who are you? If someone asks you. Some people might respond with who their parents are. They might respond for what they do for a living. They may respond for where they're from. Or they may respond from where they went to school. And that might tell us a little bit, but that really doesn't tell you who you are, right? What is inside of you? you got to dig a lot deeper, don't you? When you get down to the nitty-gritty, it gets back to what shapes you, really. Right? What has shaped us? Events, maybe. These events in our life that that, that maybe have such a huge impact on you, you tell people about them. I mean, I've got those stories in my life, the things that have happened that I share with people. These things that have happened to me that I know have had, that have shaped me. People who have shaped me. But then when it gets down to your real core, when it really gets down to the nitty gritty, who you are is what you believe. It's what you think. Right? It's who you are. What do you believe? Paul constantly reminds people of what Christ did to him. How he was and who he was and how he is now. Who he is now. Constantly. And he reminds fellow believers that they are a new creation in Christ. That he has been buried. That they have been buried. And that now they've been raised in Christ. That is who you are. If you're a believer, that is who you are. When you think about being hidden in Him, that word, it really means to be covered by. To be covered in, to be covered by Christ. It it reminded me of, it took me all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve. Where, what did they do after they sinned? And they realized their shame and nakedness. They hid. They tried to cover themselves. Did it work? Did they escape God? Did He not know where they were? Could God not find them? Did God not know what their nakedness looked like? He knows us better than we know ourselves, doesn't He? So Adam and Eve hid themselves from God after the sin, and then what did God do? God then covered them by slaying an animal. And using it to cover them. There we see that first time that there is shedding of blood. The shedding of blood for the removal of sins. It's a type and shadow. We see it with the Passover lamb. And then now our Passover lamb is Christ. Y'all see the connection? And Christ is our Passover lamb and we abide in Him. We are covered by Him, aren't we? 
We are clothed in His righteousness. He clothes us. For Adam and Eve, it was the clothes of an animal. For us, we are clothed in righteousness of Christ. We are hidden in Him. We are eternally secure in Him. It's finished. No one can snatch them from my hands. There's not, there's not a strong enough grip that can pry you from the hands of your Savior. Trust Him in Jesus. We sang about it tonight. A missionary, James Calvert, approached the Fiji Islands. Antonius said this before from this pulpit. The captain of the ship tried to discourage him from setting ashore on a cannibal island is where he was going. He knew it. Going to an island of cannibals. Why? To preach the gospel. It's something about the freedom that you have in Christ. That as you're on mission for Christ, what is there to fear? The fear of man? The fear of prison? The fear of death? Why? Why? This is what his this is what they said to him. You will lose your life and the lives of those who are with you if, if you go among these savages. Calvert's only reply We died before we came here. How do you stop that movement? You don't. It's a movement. That Satan has tried to divert, to, has tried to destroy for millennium. And he can't, he'll never be able to. As Jesus looked at the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is under so much strain that he is literally sweating drops of blood. From his forehead. How? What? What led him to the cross? What led him to that point where he could say, Not my will, but your will be done? You see that, that struggle that our Savior was facing in the garden? But yet, yet he knew his mission, that he still struggled with what he was going to have to endure on the cross? Your sin and my sin laid upon him. To be beaten and tortured for hours upon hours. And then to give up his own life in shame and humiliation. To die. His blood spilt for us. What, what was his motivation? In Hebrews 12, 2. It says this, looking to Jesus, right? There's, there's no better way to look than to look to Him. You're talking about looking at those things above, setting our minds and setting our eyes to those things above. Hebrews 12.2 says, look to Jesus. Why? It says, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. That's who you look to when you look to your, to your Christ. He is Savior. He's Messiah. It says this about Him. Who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Jesus Christ looked at a situation. He looked at a scenario that He knew He was going to have to face within hours. And it was the most horrific scenario and situation that anyone who has ever stepped foot on this planet has ever endured in a lifetime of lifetimes. He looked at that situation and the thing that drove him to move forward and to pray that prayer, not my will, but your will be done, was joy. The joy that was set before him. The fact that he knew his mission was clear, it was set in motion before the foundation of the world, that he would be he would be glorified, he would share in the glory of the Father, that he would do the will of the Father and please the Father. And that that was worth more than all the pain he would endure on the cross, all the shame that he would endure on the cross. 
The death that he would endure. The joy that was set, the joy that was set before him was more. All the pain that, that we could, we could never imagine the pain that Jesus endured. And all the pain that you've ever gone through, not only has he felt it, he knows it deeper than you know it yourself. He knows your pain deeper than you know it yourself. And he looked at that situation and for joy that was set before him, he endured the cross for us. Isn't that amazing? And as we look at the world around us and what we have to endure every single day, as we look and we know that we're going to face trial and tribulation and pain and suffering, we know that we'll face that. But as we look at that situation and we compare it, we put it on this grand scale, so to speak, and we say all the things that we have to endure and all the things that we could attain, all the riches that we could acquire on this earth. And we place it on one side and we place the Savior of the world on the other side. Which will you choose to gaze at tonight? Is there enough joy in the Savior for you and me tonight where we can say we can look at all that the shame that we'll have to endure and all the riches that we might give up and we can say that He's worth it. That this, this is the joy that I want above all else. That I can look at this and, I can, and that I can be as Christ was and despise the shame. And I can look at, at the world and I can reject the world. And I can, I can look at Christ and say that He is the treasure that I cannot give up. Can we do that tonight? I pray that we can. I'll be. I'll be. She's on her way. Thank you, man. I got to looking around, got a little worried though. I'm gonna pray, and then, and then we're gonna, um, you know, have a time of um, reflection, a time of prayer, and. Um, Use that time to let God deal with you. Let's pray. God, my Father, I thank you, Lord, so much, Lord, for your, your word. God, I thank you for this letter. God, as I've, as I've delved into it, Father, you have, um, you've reminded me of so much and taught me so much in your word. And, um, and I pray, Lord, that, um, that I've been able to, through you, God, God that, that, that the word that comes forth has been able to do the same for my brothers and sisters. And, uh, and I pray, Lord, that you, you would move on each of us and, and show us what you want us to get out of all this, Father. God, I just pray, Lord, we'll be your, your humble servants. God, we thank you for your truth. God, I pray, Lord, you'll sanctify us by it. We ask all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You